You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Tell your neighbor, this sermon better be good or I'm leaving. C+. Plus. <laughs> I told the volunteer team my, my sermon was going to be good this morning, but it's probably only a C+. Plus, so that's what... Um, You'll be the judge of that. Uh, I wanted to tell you guys that um, when Robin got up here and started praying and prophesying like that, um, maybe maybe you haven't seen that before, but that's called church. That's that's called normal church. And just because you haven't seen it before doesn't mean that it's not good. It might be strange to you, but just because something's strange doesn't automatically disqualify it. And if you read the New Testament, all through the New Testament, there's these things where people are laying hands upon people and praying on them, praying over them and prophesying to them about who God says that they are. There's this young man named Timothy who was mentored by this older man named Paul. And at some point in Timothy's ministry, Paul writes him this letter and he says, here's the thing, man. When you forget what you're doing, remember when those people laid hands on you and prayed over you and prophesied over you, make sure you stir that gift up occasionally. So we're people, human beings walking through the world and the world comes at us hard sometimes. And one of the gifts that God has given the church is the ability to lay hands on each other to pray over each other and to declare the goodness of God over each other. So you're welcome. You got to participate in that this morning. Isn't that good? Uh, This is my third message this morning on the joyful life of the church. And I'm in the book of first Peter this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it. I'm going to be reading from the new living translation, which is my favorite translation these days. I know there are more accurate translations, but this one really helps me. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes you need more help to understand the things of God. Go get the help that you need. You know, just because you don't understand something yet doesn't mean that it can't eventually be understood. You just might need a little help to get there. So I'm actually going to start at the beginning of chapter one. I'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit. It's scripture heavy this morning, but that's not a bad thing. So I think we have it up here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of, and then there's all these different cities and countries listed, but what they really are is the modern country of Turkey. Peter's writing to Christians that are located in the country of Turkey. All right. Uh, God, the father knew you and he chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. 
And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I just feel like after reading that incredible text that we should pray. Let's do that now. God, I thank you for this sacred moment of time and space that your Holy Spirit is already dwelling in. And our prayer is that you would open up the eyes of our heart so that we can see what you're saying, so we can hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Peter is one of the main apostles of the early church, and you'll hear about him in the New Testament uh, probably more than anybody, only second to Paul, the apostle. Um, And he wrote this letter to the churches in Turkey because he knew that they were going through hardships. And, And when people go through hardships, and they go through hardships for a long time, they tend to get tired. And when people get tired, what do they tend to do? They tend to give up. So he's writing them this letter of encouragement Because he knows that these people have been through things and he doesn't want them to give up. So in order to encourage them, what he begins with, and we read this, as he begins by telling them who they are. He tells them, you are chosen by God. You are made holy by God. You are cleansed by the blood of Christ and you are obedient to God. It's interesting because Peter does not tell these Christians who they are by giving an account of their ancestry, where they come from, their moral or spiritual background. He doesn't give an account of their social status. He He gives no account of whether they're rich or they're poor. No, he makes a distinction about this church, the church of Jesus Christ. The distinction is not where they come from, but it's who they belong to. So he's talking specifically to these people, and I'm I'm thinking today that he's talking to us. Who we are, what makes us distinct as the body of Christ, is not where we come from, but it's who we belong to. And it's interesting because Peter connects belonging to the mercy of God. He says, we belong to God because of his great mercy. By the mercy of God, we have been born again. 
And now, he says, now we live by a great expectation. He's probably telling them something that they don't know yet. These people are tired. They've been knocked down. There's been some hardships. There's probably not a lot of great expectation on their part. They may be assessing things poorly. And like any good pastor or friend would do, he's reminding them of who they belong to. And he's reminding them what got them there in the first place. It was the mercy of God. And because of that mercy, they were born again. And since they're born again, they live with a great expectation. We, the church, this room, we are full of great expectation. We have no superpowers, y'all. But we are fueled by a living hope. And we are full of great expectation. I, I love the New Living Translation. Like I said, um, other, most other translations take this great ex, expectation word and they translate it as living hope. When you hear the word great expectation, you can also think of it as a living hope. It's not a hope that's dormant. It's not a hope that's static. It's something that's living and dynamic within us, individually and corporately. But this If we're full of great expectation, what is it? What is it that we're living in expectation of? What is it that we're anticipating? And this is interesting the way Peter lays this out for us. Our great expectation is that even though we must endure many trials for a little while, there is wonderful joy ahead. He's reminding them that what you're facing now is not really an indicator of what's going to be happening in the future. You can't assess what's going to go on in the future by what is happening to you now. In fact, that's what makes Christians distinct from other people that are walking on planet Earth is that we have a great expectation that is anticipating a wonderful joy. And I have found out this thing. That when I am living in anticipation of joy, guess what tends to happen? Joy becomes present in the now. It's almost like he's trying to trick them. He's, he's, he's using reverse psychology. It's like, I know you're having a hard time, but there's something wonderful ahead. And they're like, oh, wow, something wonderful is coming. I know I already said this, but the great thing about anticipating joy is that it makes you aware of the joy that is available right now, no matter what your circumstance is. There there was a portion in uh, worship today and in the Sam and Kim were just, they were just leading us to sing out, sing out praises. You know, sometimes you got to get off the page of the music, got to get off the page of the song. You got to go into that like spontaneous place and you just begin to sing those songs that are in your heart, you know? And while we were in that spot, I just began to think of that passage in Romans eleven thirty six that says, 
for him and through him and to him. Everything was made. Everything that we're doing is about Jesus Christ. It is about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And I just began to be so thankful that I was among his people this morning and we were just glorifying Jesus. And we were glorifying him out of this fullness of expectation that is living within us. So here we are, we're the church this morning, and we're anticipating our future salvation, our rescue from emptiness, from meaninglessness, and from death. Salvation is the gift of God to us, and it starts now, but its fullness is in the future. But it is a mistake to think of your salvation only as something in the future. Salvation is a gift of God to you right now that rescues you from the meaninglessness of life. First Peter is a letter that is primarily about anticipation and anticipating salvation. It is a reminder to us that we, the church, are a people full of great expectation. And Peter is aware of their many trials and discouragements, and he has a message for them. Be truly glad now because there is wonderful joy ahead, even though we have many trials now. Peter is trying to encourage the church, the churches in Turkey to stay the course with Christ. And he does so by reminding them of their salvation and their deliverance out of the empty life of this world. Here's the thing, y'all. A lot of Christians get discouraged about life because they forget their future hope. They start putting more priority on the life of now and they lose sight of the life eternal. Okay? You don't want to just live in the future all the way, but at the same time, you don't want to ever let go of that future hope. All right? First Peter 1.18 says this, <clears throat> for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. Isn't that cool? It's right there in the text. Jesus came to give us meaning. He came to save us from the empty life. So this is interesting, but people ask me all the time, why do you confess Christ as Lord? Why haven't you evolved past such a primitive thing as worshiping this unseen God? My answer is this. I figured this out about myself a long time ago. And this is going to sound very primitive when I say it, but I need a God. I think that's true of everybody, whether they know it or not. Everyone needs a God and everybody will worship a God. It just depends on the one that you choose. So for me, I need a God that can save me from the empty life. And my testimony and my experience is that Christ is the only one who is able to do that. It's true that there are many other options out there. But all of the ones that I've either tried or looked into, of all of those options, only Christ has been able to rescue me from the empty, meaningless life. So 
I want to tell you guys a story this morning. Uh, it's, it's such a great story. It, but it's especially great to me because it's about fishing. And I like fishing. So if you don't like fishing, this might be the worst story to you. But I, I, hope, I hope it's not. But uh, Henry and I, we got invited last week to go fishing at a friend's secret fishing spot. Now, when you have a friend who tells you that they've got a secret fishing spot, all kinds of anticipation starts arising in your heart. Like, like the great expectation that was down here all of a sudden goes up here. And uh, my friend is an experienced fisherman and he's also wise. Uh, so, so like he was trying to keep our expectations real low. And he said, well, I'm going to take you to my secret spot. But you know, you just never know. The fish might not be biting that day when we go. And I said, oh, no way, man. That day is going to be fire. We're catching a ton of fish. And I don't care what you say. I'm just anticipating the best day. Okay. So uh, before I tell you the rest of the story, I just want to show you this little video. Because uh, actually, you know, Picture's worth a thousand words and a video's worth 10,000. Let it play. Okay, okay, just leave him in the water. Leave him in the water. Hold on, hold on. Leave him, just keep that line tight. This is a, this is a PB. This is a PB, Hen. Keep your line tight. Keep your line tight. I'm keeping it tight. Oh my god. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Matt, it's a big one. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right, let's get some shots, Hen. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. There is a God. <laughs> well, so Hen, Henry and I had these great expectations heading into this trip. We could not see what we were anticipating with our eyes, but our great expectations were thrilling us and encouraging us and giving us a taste of someday seeing the actual results. Isn't that cool? Like when you go fishing, you don't see what you're eventually going to look for. That's one of the joys of it is you're looking across the water and you can't see anything that you're actually looking for. You can't see the thing that you're hoping for. In a way... Our great expectation on that day was teaching us how to see. I can't help it, but I always see a correlation between fishing and living a life full of great expectation. Fishing is so much fun because you cannot see what you are expecting. Fishing is so much fun because it's experiencing the thrill of great expectation before you catch what you're anticipating. Fishing is essentially a walk of faith. When you do it, 
you cannot see. When you fish, you cannot see in advance the fish you're expecting. That is. Have you ever, have you ever had this thought before? It would just be so much easier if I could just see Jesus right now. Have you ever had that thought? I wish I could see God. I wish I could actually lay my eyes on Jesus because it would just answer so many problems that I I'm having right now. I know, I know I've had why this thought, why all of this walk by faith, not by sight stuff. Have you ever thought, if I were God, I would have made all this following Jesus stuff a little bit easier on everybody by making him someone we could all see right now with our eyes. Yeah, like, you, have you ever had that thought experiments? I know I'm not alone in that. So here's what we conclude. We conclude that not being able to see God now is a disadvantage. That's our conclusion that we come to. But actually... Not seeing God right now is not a disadvantage. It is an advantage and it is a blessing. It is actually what you were created for. You were actually created for anticipating a future joy. There's actually more joy available to you now anticipating seeing Christ later on than if you laid eyes on him right now. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? What seems like a disadvantage to us is really a gift. Not being able to see Christ now is a gift from God to us. Our inability to see God with our physical eyes is the blessing that lets our eyes of faith really learn to see. Our inability to see Christ with our physical eyes is the blessing that allows our hearts of love to expand. The only way you can really learn to trust and obey God is by being in a position where you are not able to see. You with me on this? Our inability to see God with our physical eyes is the blessing that allows our faith to be tested and proven. And, and, and Peter locks down why? He says this, because when our faith, when our walking without sight, when our faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring us much praise and glory and honor on the day of Jesus Christ when he is revealed to the whole world. This is so crazy. He said that you will be praised and honored on the day of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a scripture like that? That you will be praised on the day of Jesus Christ? I've never seen that before. But that's what Peter is putting before the church of Jesus Christ. When you go through these hardships without seeing him with your eyes and you endure because you anticipate this great salvation that is your inheritance, which is priceless, that nobody can take away. No thief can steal. It cannot be destroyed. It will not decay. It belongs to you. It's more precious than gold. When you endure through these things, it will be to your glory on the day when every eye finally sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what a cacophony. What a wonderful symphony that's going to be. We're all going to be praising Jesus, but there's going to be all this other kind of strange praise and honor going on with you and you and you and you and you and you, and you because you endured, you anticipated. 
your great salvation. I think, um, I think about superpowers a lot. I'm not a comic book guy. I have some friends who are comic book guys. I'm not a comic book guy, but I still think about kind of like superpowers because, you know, in the same way that we would think about if God would just show himself to us, we also think about what it would be like to fly or walk through walls or whatever, right? You've all done this thought experiment before, yeah? So like, what would it be like to fly or to be strong? What would it like to be, uh, be like to be invisible or to have x-ray vision? The thing about superpowers is this. Superpowers are great because they make sense. You have a problem and you have a superpower, you can solve it, right? If, if there's a bad guy and you need a lot of strength, you go get a superhero who has a lot of strength. They can overcome this guy that, you know, is making trouble for everybody. So this is like kind of the formative imagination that we have as modern people, y'all. We think about superheroes a lot. We think about problems and the, the ability to solve problems. And so we have, we've created these myths, these gods or these stories. And they're really important stories. They're, they're important because they, they say a lot about who we are. But in these stories that we've created, what they're really saying about us is that we do rely a lot on strength or or hopes of strength, hopes of power, hopes of being able to see things correctly. And the funny thing about it is, is that God actually does the exact opposite of what all of our superhero stories have trained us to do. And, you know, a superhero with x-ray vision who can see great distances. Man, we think, man, if I could just see like that guy. But God is saying, nope, your greatest ability is that you cannot see. Your greatest ability is that you've been struck with divine blindness. Your greatest ability is that you have to fully rely and trust in your Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our superpower, y'all. That is the thing that we are about. That is what makes us distinct is that we don't have a lot of strength. We don't have a lot of sight. We are walking by faith. And that is what the spirit is calling us into. Amen. The church does have a superpower. It's called great expectation. It's called faith. God has empowered us with the ability to see him, even though we don't see him. Do you know why God has set the world up like this? Because God's desire for you is that whatever your life circumstances are, that you would be full of great expectation. This is how he means for us to live, y'all. And that from your great expectation, you learn to walk by faith instead of by sight because faith is the cure for the empty life. Faith is the cure for the empty life. Faith is the gift that God has given us so that we can experience the deep, deep love of Christ and always know that we are his beloved. Every single one of you sitting in this room is the beloved of God. 
When I think about the distinctions of the church, what makes the church unique? I don't think about our music. I don't think about our theology. I don't think about our programs. I don't think about our evangelism. I don't think about what we're good at or what we're not good at. There's all of these different ways that we we identify ourselves, but that is not the way Peter identified the church. He said it this way. Though you have never seen him, you love him. Man, you know, this is a really interesting dynamic here. I, one time in my life, I was in such a dark pit because of just some version of tragedy that I had walked into that I, I experienced one of the strangest dynamics. I didn't even know it was possible. But I walked into this thing where God simultaneously felt the furthest away from me that he had ever been. And it, and simultaneously, I had never felt him closer. Like my ability to see them, see him just, I couldn't see him at all. But in that moment, I felt a love springing up out of my heart for him that I was shocked. The great expectation in my heart, that living hope that was in my bones met me in the darkest hour of my life. And I discovered Jesus in a way that I had never known him before. So we don't ever have to be afraid of not being able to see Jesus because when we don't see him the most is when he shows up the most. That's why I'm never afraid of people talking about the presence of God going away. All I see is absence. I'm like, man, in the absence of God is when I feel him the most. If I'm reading the room and he's absent, it just means I'm reading the room wrong. That's all that is. Peter goes on to say, though you do not see him now, you trust him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. That's you. That's me. This is how we are identified as believers. This is how we are identified as the joyful church. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. This is the song of the joyful church. I have not seen him, but I love him. I have not seen him, but I love him. I I don't see him now, but I trust him. I have not seen him, but I obey him. Now, I'm wrapping up, y'all. But I, I want to touch on one thing for just a second. It's, it's, it's the word obedience. I have, I'll just be honest with you. I have a big issue with the word obedience. And I think it's because I'm American. I think it's because I was raised up under rugged individualism. I think it's probably because I'm probably hard-headed and prideful. But to be a true disciple of Jesus, there is a large part of it that includes you doing what he says to do. It's not just the loving him and trusting part. Those are really important components. But when Jesus says something to us, when he gives us a command, he actually means for us to do it. And I, I have this theory that 
A lot of folks lose their way with Jesus, not because of philosophical issues, but because they stopped listening to what he was saying and doing it. You know, you will actually shut yourself out of the Lord talking to you if all you do is hear what he says only and never follow through on what he's saying. Have you ever been, have you ever been frustrated in your life? Like things aren't making sense. I'm, there's a growing sense of emptiness or frustration. You know, you know, all of those things surrounding the human condition. Well, I actually believe that Christ came to relieve us of the human condition. Okay. I'm not saying that it will all go away instantly, but I'm saying there is a process of growing up in Jesus, becoming a mature follower of Jesus Christ, where your ability to obey him and follow him into his commands may not solve your troubles, but it will relieve you of that inner emptiness. It will relieve you of that inner meaninglessness. Because the fact is this, y'all, you can go give yourself to whatever pleasures in the world that you want. You really can. You can go give yourself over to whatever philosophy or whatever religion that you choose. And the truth is, typically speaking, it'll be really fun at first. If you throw off the chains of the church and you go looking for life somewhere else, you will have a good time. But that good time will not last. I, I promise you, that, that experiment has been tried over and over and over and over. And it's like, the good times are good when they're good. But when they stop and you find out the God that you were giving your life to only wants to chew you up and spit you out. Guess what you want to do at that point? You want to go find Jesus again. And I am preaching to myself here, y'all. I'm not preaching at you. I'm not trying to come down hard on you, but I feel like the Lord is giving us a key right now. It's an old message, but it's really simple. But there is something that we need to be doing as individuals. When the Lord is speaking to us, we need to respond. The Lord is speaking to you. He is trying to get your attention in your life. And if you can't hear his Holy Spirit, read first Peter. Read the whole book of First Peter. You can sit down and you can read it in 45 minutes, but it is filled with the things that we should do. If somebody is persecuting you, don't pray against them. Bless them. First Peter says that. First Peter says, husbands, you better do right by your wife because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. That's Bible, y'all. There are things that are in the Bible that actually make your life work better. It won't solve every single little thing in your life. You can still get parking tickets. You can still, you know what I'm saying? But like there are discipleship things that we can be doing 
that will shape us for the better. So maybe, maybe you just need to begin to trust and obey Christ again. Maybe it's something as simple as that, you know? Maybe sometimes we just get lost in the worlds of philosophy. Maybe we just get lost trying to figure things out. I talk to people all the time who are so muddled in their minds trying to figure out the universe. And I'm not smart enough to figure their confusion out for them. All I know to do is lead them to Jesus and say, do what he says. I mean, sometimes, sometimes proclaiming from the pulpit feels kind of dumb because, I mean, really, what we're just telling you to do is do what Jesus said to do. It's like, that's, that's the work. That's the project. That's the thing that we're doing, right? I mean, people always come to Amy and I looking for advice for their marriage or, I mean, you know, you should go to Adam's thing because if you come to us, we'll just tell you, do what we did, figure it out, you know? (laughs) But I'm being funny, but some things really are simple. Some things really are simple. And I think that we can start by giving our lives to Jesus. And when I say giving our lives to Jesus, I mean simply doing what he says. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 